Let's turn together in God's Word to James chapter 3. We're going to be reading James 3, verses 1 and 2. Um, if you need to use your pew Bible, it's on page 1200 in your pew Bible. Uh, Bruce is continuing his series in James, and he um, is talking about teachers beware. And I have not decided since he sent me the text yesterday if I should take that personally. Uh, James chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Let's pray. Father God, we, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we just we thank you for your word. We thank you for this church for Pastor Bruce and Pastor Chris and, and uh, all the other teachers of your word here. And God, just help us to hear from you. Um, help us to understand with our, with our minds. God, help us to, to let it sink um, deep into our hearts and then, then apply it. God, we don't want to be just hearers of your word, but we want to be doers of it and we know that we need your Holy Spirit's help in that. God, just uh, just help us with that. Help us to grow in our love for you and our love for one another and for others. And um, to be good children of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome. It is good to be back. Most of you know my wife and I were on vacation this Last week, and uh, much-needed vacation, we appreciate those of you who asked how it went, how we are doing. We're doing wonderful, and, uh, but we nonetheless were appreciative of the opportunity to get away for a few days down at Gulf Shores, Alabama. But it's always good to be back. And uh, if you're new here this morning, and uh, I want you to know that we welcome you, and we are in a series through the book of James. We've been in this series for quite some time now. And we are continuing on. We're here in chapter 3. And I appreciate Pastor Chris filling in last Sunday as he covered the bulk of this chapter, the first 12 verses that deals with the tongue. What I want us to do this morning is to back up and focus on verses 1 through 2. Teachers, beware. As most of you know, we live in a world where our words matter. Words have the capacity to affect us in an enormous way. We've all have felt the power of those words for either good or for bad. Words have the power to comfort. They have the power to encourage. Words even have the power to heal and lift one's spirits. Words are used to speak truth, to edify, and to praise one another, and even to praise our God. And so words can be used for good. But words can also be used for evil. Words can hurt. Words can bring pain. Words can destroy. Words can even, as we will see in coming weeks, can cause quarrels and fights in wars. And so while it is true that sticks and stones may break many bones, we also know from experience that it is false to say that words will never hurt me. The damage done by the tongue 
can go far deeper and last much longer than the damage that is done by sticks and stones. In fact, we read in Proverbs chapter 18, 21, where it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And when it comes to the tongue, James, as we saw last Sunday, tells us in verse 9, with this tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we also curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Curtis Vaughn adds this insight about the, the power of the tongue. It can sway men to violence, or it can move them to the noblest actions. It can instruct the ignorant, encourage the dejected, comfort the sorrowing, and soothe the dying. Or it can crush the human spirit, destroy reputations, spread distrust and hate, and bring nations to the brink of war. And so it comes as no surprise then that James writes about the importance of the tongue here in chapter 3. Last Sunday, Pastor Chris taught on the tongue's toxic talk in the first 12 verses here. And and we learned last Sunday that the number one poison on the planet is our toxic talk. And the number one source of that toxic talk is none other than our tongue. And then James, through several different illustrations that he gives in these verses here, tells us, illustrating for us that the tongue may be small, but it is powerful. And that's why we must make it a priority to daily detox our tongue with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, as I already alluded to, I want us to explore the importance of controlling the tongue as it relates, first of all, to teachers in the church, but also to all believers in Jesus Christ. And here's what we're going to see as James begins chapter 3 with verse 1 with this warning to teachers. And the reason he gives that, this is the big idea here. Notice this, the tongue has the power to influence many people. Therefore, recognize the great responsibility and even the greater accountability of teaching God's Word. Now, James has already told us that, that one of the marks of true faith of of real faith in Jesus Christ, is controlling the tongue. He's he's referenced this already. In fact, he wrote at the end of chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, listen to what he says again. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue or control his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then he goes on in verse 27 and says, Religion that is is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And then immediately in chapter 2, James begins to talk about the relationship between faith and works and how our works demonstrate that we have faith. In other words, James basically comes out and he says to us, listen, you say that you have real faith, show me that you have real faith. Don't just tell me you have it. Show me, referencing back to the end of chapter 1, show me that you have real faith, first of all, by three things. By controlling your tongue. Show me you have real faith by by caring for the helpless. Show me you have real faith by avoiding worldliness in your life, which he will reference and talk about here in chapter 4. And so here in chapter 3, James is tackling the first of that, controlling the tongue. And he's reminding us that our works 
are not limited to just our actions. They also include the tongue. Our, our words, our speech. Why? Because true faith, what we're calling real faith in this series, James says, is also seen in the words that we speak. Once again, James is, is simply teaching what his older half-brother taught, Jesus Christ. Jesus taught in Matthew 15, 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And James here is teaching basically the same thing because our speech is one of the best indications of the state of our hearts. And so a question for all of us to ask ourselves is, have our hearts been transformed by the power of the gospel? If so then it will be seen in your speech, in how you talk. No, not perfectly, but little by little, day by day, our speech will reflect a transformed heart. And what James does now is he applies all of that, this importance of controlling the tongue, to teachers, first of all, and then to everyone else at the beginning here of chapter 3. So let us examine that. Let's unpack that for a few minutes here. Notice a serious warning for aspiring teachers. Point number one. James begins with this serious warning that should alarm teachers everywhere. Notice again what he writes in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, in a twist of irony, every time a teacher like myself stands to teach this verse, he's inviting judgment on himself. The warning here is simple. It's clear. It's concise. The warning is simply this. Not many of you should become teachers. Now, I have to admit, I don't know what your thoughts are, but that is rather shocking. That is a shocking warning because everywhere else in the New Testament especially, teaching and the role of teaching is held in such high honor. It's held in such high esteem. For example, in 1 Timothy 3.1, Paul says that if a, if a man desires to be a pastor, teacher, Paul says that is a noble desire. And then later on, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.11 that teachers and preachers are actually given to the church as God's gifts to the church, then the implication by all that is that teaching is an essential component of the church. Jesus spent his entire ministry going around doing what? Teaching and preaching. And then he actually commissioned his disciples to go out and do the same. After his resurrection, Jesus then commissioned all of his disciples to do what? To teach In the Great Commission, he tells us in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and what? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So one of our fundamental duties, responsibilities as Christians, as Christ followers, is teaching every one of us here this morning. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And so all of us are to do some 
form of teaching on an informal basis with one another or with a small group of people, whatever the case might be. Parents, we could even set you apart in the sense that you have a responsibility to teach your kids, disciple your kids. And fathers especially, Paul singles out in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and says, do not provoke your children to anger, but dads, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Those who are called into leadership in the church have a a unique responsibility, a a special responsibility to to teach God's Word. In fact, according to 1 Timothy 3, 2, no one is allowed to be a pastor in the church unless he is able to teach God's Word. Paul even exhorts his young disciple Timothy to be faithful in what? In preaching. We, we read his words in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is able to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so with so many verses pointing to the, the importance of teaching, the value of teaching, It is rather shocking here when James just comes out in the very first verse of chapter 3 and warns his readers here from becoming teachers. What's up with that? James, what are you saying and why? What are you referencing here? What do you mean by this? Well, I think one thing James means is he's, first of all, he's talking about teachers of God's word in the church specifically, and he's warning us that we should not rush into this role. And for good reason, teachers use words which have the power to influence lives for either good or for evil. Through their words, teachers can either strengthen the weak and encourage the faithful, or they can become a stumbling block for the young and immature believer. In fact, one pastor and author writes, and I quote, it's a profession, alluding to the profession of teaching in a vocational sense. It's a profession beset with special responsibilities and dangers. And James' warning here shows us why the church needs to confirm a man's calling into the ministry. And so men who, are, who appoint themselves as teachers in the church often lead people astray in the church. In fact, some of them teach error, but most of them are simply full of what Paul will reference as selfish ambition who want the position or the title of a teacher. Jesus warned us about people like this. In Matthew 23, verses 6 and 7, he says, They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. And then Jesus immediately turns to his disciples and he says to them in verse 8, But you, you disciples, you Christ followers of me, you are not to be called rabbi. In other words, teacher. And so like Jesus, James now here is warning us that great care or caution must go into becoming a teacher in the church. And apparently, the churches that James was writing to had way too many self 
appointed teachers. In fact, this word for teacher that James alludes to, it actually comes out of the context of the Jewish synagogue. And the teachers in the Jewish church were in some ways inheriting the the legacy of the rabbis, which carried with it this great deal of admiration and honor in James' day. One Bible scholar, William Barclay, writes, the rabbi was treated in a way that was liable to ruin the character of any man. The name rabbi literally meant great one or my great one. Just think, if you were a teacher in James' day, everywhere you went, people were basically saying to you, hello, great one. How are you, great one? Listen, that would ruin just about anybody. And the problem which developed in the Jewish church in which James is writing to was that some of this over-idolized admiration was now being transferred to these teachers in the churches that James is writing to. And so you can imagine now the temptation to become one of those people, to become a teacher in the church. Plus, in the early church gatherings, they were actually places for open discussion, which invited even more a plague of unqualified would-be teachers who promoted themselves. Another Bible scholar and author, Kent Hughes, adds this. The problem, in a word, was ambition, which has been and continues to be the bane of the church. Often, instead of being Christ-driven people, these kind of teachers are need driven in public ministry. And James was well aware that this selfish ambition was driving some to become teachers. And so he simply says here at the beginning of chapter 3, hold on. You want to become a teacher? You want respect? Have you considered the responsibility? You want admiration? Don't overlook the coming day of accountability that comes with. Now, James, just for clarity here, is not trying to discourage people from becoming teachers. Listen, the church needs spirit-filled, qualified teachers of God's words. James is seeking, rather, to, to elevate the responsibility that teachers have in the church. And at the same time, he is discouraging people from becoming a teacher for the wrong motives. And so he gives this warning at the very beginning here. Not many of you should become teachers. And here's the reason he states in the rest of verse 1. Because those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And rightfully so. Teachers, as we have already said, have this power to influence many people through their words. And therefore, James says, teachers will be judged more strictly because they have the capacity to do particular damage to the church of God through their teaching, through their words. They either convey the truth or they obscure the truth or perhaps even deny the truth altogether of God's word. Again, if I might quote William Barclay, he says that a teacher should struggle all of his life to avoid two pitfalls. He must have every care that he is teaching the truth and not his own opinions or even his own prejudices. 
It is fatally easy for a teacher to distort the truth and to teach not God's version but his own. He must have every care that he does not contradict his teaching by his life. He must never get into the position when his students cannot hear what he says for listening to what he is. And so our words, James is reminding us here, matter a great deal. And as teachers, our words matter even more. Consider what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And if that applies to all of us here this morning, and it does, how much greater does it apply to teachers of God's word? Listen, we will all have to someday give an account to God. No one will escape that final judgment where we will stand before God and we will have to give an answer for every single word we have ever said. Now, it is also very clear that God's word teaches that while believers are, will not stand in judgment for our sin. Why? That's already been paid for. Through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are not condemned. We will not stand in judgment for our sin before God. But the Bible is clear that the workers of works of believers will nevertheless be judged, including the works of our words. And James says here that teachers of God's word will be judged with this, he, he uses the phrase, this greater strictness. Because our words have the power to influence more people. Now, I really appreciate what James does here in verse 1. Maybe you caught it when Kevin read it for us and when we read it again. But James actually changes the pronoun here in verse 1 to we. He says, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James, in other words, is saying, listen, I, as I write this out, I am in this too. I am writing this warning to myself. And so every teacher without exception is to be in the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2.15. Every teacher is to be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. And so James is saying, listen, teachers... Think of the eternal ramifications before you stand and teach God's word. Now, I will freely admit, I feel the weight of this warning. In fact, there was a part of me that knowing that Chris was preaching last Sunday on verses 1 through 12, just immediately start with this Sunday, verse 13. And as I dwelt on that more and more, I just felt convicted. No, we need to back up and we need to cover these two verses. Even as I feel the burden of that, the weight of that. Listen, I have been the pastor here at LifeBridge now for 20 years, since 2002. And so that's 20 years of preaching and teaching in our church. And if you're wondering, I use about 4,000 words when I manuscript my sermons during the week. And I preach on an average each year, 44 Sundays. Multiply that over 20 years, and that is a little over 3.5 spoken words 
just on Sunday morning in the worship service in sermons. And some of you have been around long enough to witness moments where I've gotten a little tongue-tied. I freely admit that, where I have said something the wrong way or I wasn't clear enough in what I was trying to say and perhaps you even left here more confused about what I was trying to say. And James wants me to know and other teachers here in our church to know that someday I'm going to give an account for every word that I have ever preached. And so far in my life as pastor, that's a little over 3.5 million words. That's a weighty, weighty responsibility. That's a sober thing to ponder. In fact, in a humorous way, I was reminded as a youth pastor that that accounting already began early on. When I was a youth pastor, there was a group of teens led by none other than an Aubrey Slayball that compiled a list of all my youth pastor sayings. Uh, it was, they were making fun of me. Yes. They were making fun of me, and I will not give you those sayings. You can ask Zach Warner. You can ask Audra Glafelty. I'm sure they can remember a few of them, and they can share those with you. But this is the eternal reality check for teachers that James is giving us. And no one rushes in to become a teacher if they understand the gravity of James' warning here. The Scottish reformer John Knox was so awed and so burdened by the responsibility to to declare God's word faithfully that when he stood at the pulpit to preach his very first sermon, he broke into tears and wept uncontrollably and actually had to be escorted from the pulpit until he could compose himself. Now, as far as I remember, I've never broken into tears standing here before our church. But I do feel the burden of responsibility before preaching when I stand right there and we stand and sing. It's a weighty thing. And perhaps that's why I can relate to this quote by another pastor where he says, there is no special honor in preaching. There is only special pain. The pulpit calls those anointed to it as the sea calls its sailors. And like the sea, it batters and bruises and does not rest. To preach, to really preach, is to die naked a little at a time and to know each time you do it that you must do it again. Here's the point James is making, I believe, in this first verse. He wants teachers and those who desire to be teachers to recognize the great responsibility and even the greater accountability of teaching God's Word. Now, again, James does not give this warning to scare you from teaching. But he does want us to see this great responsibility that we have and and this greater accountability that is coming when it comes to teaching God's Word. And by the way, I hope this encourages you. This should encourage you. It should not discourage you. Why? Because this means what we do as teachers here at our church is super important. It makes a difference in the lives of those we teach. So whether you are teaching in the nursery and preschool and taking God's word and sharing it at their age level or whether in the elementary students or in the high school level, it is super important. 
Teachers in our adult classes during the discovery hour, if you serve in Awanas, and when you share God's word with those lives, whether they are three or 83, understand, yes, there is a great responsibility, a greater accountability, but what you are doing is vitally important. That should encourage you. Let that motivate you. And while James is talking about teachers in the church, I think it's worth noting that these days anyone can teach in some capacity, even if we're not standing on a stage like I am this morning. Anyone can share their, their thoughts and their opinions and what they believe in some form on the Internet through social media. And we need to take that seriously as well because our words have consequences. And so we need to be very careful and very humble when sharing the truth of God's word. And that brings me to another point that I think is worth noting. We also need to use great discernment in who we listen to. Listen, not all teachers are godly. Not all teachers teach the truth of God's word. In fact, one of the reasons that Paul cautioned Timothy about the danger of false teachers we find here in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That time is now, that time is here. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And as you know today, with the proliferation of, of podcasts and videos and live streaming, it is not hard to find a teacher to verify and even promote what you want to hear. And it's remarkable how quickly we might trust someone who we've never met, who we've never seen, and don't even know because they say something we want to hear. James is seeking to, to elevate this responsibility of teachers lest we become overly enamored with their, their charisma and with their gift of teaching without ever taking time to evaluate their character and their heart and even the content of what they're teaching. James applies this, what he's saying in verse 1, not only to teachers in the church, but now to all believers in the church. This, this, this principle, this importance of controlling the tongue. Notice the second point here. He makes a very personal admission for all believers. James starts at the top with teachers, but he now broadens the application of all this to include all believers in the church. You see, James highlights something that is a particular issue for teachers in the church, but which is a general issue for all believers, and that is the importance of keeping the tongue in check. And we see this in verse 2 where he says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So, so the admission, again, like the warning, it's very simple, it's very concise, very clear. James admits we all stumble in many ways. How? For, with our tongues. That's the context here. We stumble in many ways with our tongues, with our talk, our speech. And we can all say amen to that, right? And notice that James, once again, he includes himself in this admission when he says we all stumble. 
You see, James recognizes that we all, even teachers, stumble in sin with our tongues. In fact, the present tense suggests not just stumbling once or twice or next month. The present tense actually suggests repeated stumbling with our tongues, reminding us, once again, that none of us here are sinless, and that includes teachers, especially when it comes to our tongues. You see, the tongue daily demonstrates our sinfulness, does it not? Have you not figured that out for yourself? It it daily demonstrates as well our inability to even reform ourselves. Failures of the tongue are all too frequent and undeniable. And as Chris alluded to last Sunday in his sermon, some of the greatest saints have had trouble with the tongue. He mentioned a few of them. I'll mention them again as a review. Job was a man whom God called blameless and upright, but Job had trouble controlling his own tongue. He admitted in Job chapter 40, verse 4, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you, God? I put my hand over my nose. Isaiah, great prophet in the Old Testament, and yet when he encountered God, he confessed in Isaiah 6, 5, I am a man of unclean lips. Moses was a faithful servant, and yet it was written of him in Psalm 106, verse 33, rash words came from Moses' lips. And then there's Peter. We all know of Peter, right? He opened his mouth only to change feet, it seemed. And he proudly said in Matthew 26, 33, these will all fall away from you, Lord, but, but I, I, I will never fall away from you, Lord. And yet on that very same night, those same lips denied Jesus three different times. And so James admits here that we all, we're all in the same boat here, that we all stumble in many, many, many ways with our tongues, and then he offers this challenge to us. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. In other words, what James is saying there, if we can control our tongue somehow, then we will not have any trouble controlling all the other areas of our lives. Of course, the reverse is also true because, listen, it's a bad sign if someone doesn't have control over his or her tongue, is it not? It is a bad, bad sign on their life. It's a telltale sign that if someone cannot control their tongue, there are other, deeper issues involved going on. Now, James does not mean without fault or sinless when he says this perfect. He uses that term perfect. We know he doesn't mean sinless because after all, right before that, he just said what? We all stumble. And he's using, he's being, he's being gracious here when he uses the word stumble. He could have just as well said we all sin in many ways with our tongue. In this way, he says we all stumble. In other words, we stumble over our words and fall flat on our face. And so we know when he uses this word perfect, it doesn't mean sinless. We've already seen that back in chapter 1. This word perfect simply means maturity, spiritual maturity. And so it's, it's what he's referencing here, what he's alluding to, it means that a true mark of spiritual maturity in one's life is what? It's controlling of the tongue. You say, why is this? Because our words are very revealing. Our words show 
who we really are. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. And since we as human beings, we cannot see what is actually happening happening in the heart, there are actually then, that means very few ways to discern who a person truly is on the inside because you can't see the inside. You can't see it, but you can surely hear it in what they say. You ever say something you wish you hadn't said? And then you say, I don't know where that came from. Man, that came out of nowhere. No, it didn't come out of nowhere. Jesus says it came from somewhere. It came from the heart. And so our words are a good sign of where we are at, spiritually speaking. In fact, our words are the most visible barometer of our hearts. You might think of it this way. Good words are a good sign. Bad words are a bad sign, spiritually speaking. And when it comes to teachers, James is saying that we will be judged with greater strictness. And although there may be teachers who are very gifted communicators, if they are misusing the tongue, then they should not be using the tongue to teach. Why? Well, that brings us to the point that James is making. A controlled tongue is the distinguishing mark of spiritual maturity. In fact, Pastor Chris made the statement last week, and it was, it was even in your notes, that spiritual maturity is measured by a controlled tongue due to a surrendered heart. In other words, a controlled tongue indicates a, a pure heart and a life that is submitted to God. A controlled tongue is an unmistakable evidence of God's work of grace in one's life. Now, at the same time, please understand... Perfection here is not the goal of the Christian in this lifetime. I hope you understand that. Maturity is the goal, not perfection. Yes, one day, do you realize every Christ follower here this morning, one day we will stand before God Almighty, perfect and sinless, and we will do so with exceeding joy, but not yet. We, in this life, on this earth, we can never achieve sinless perfection in this life. But James is telling us here, along with the rest of Scripture, that we can grow to spiritual maturity. And James is saying that the one distinguishing mark of that spiritual maturity is a controlled tongue. But I don't know about you, but that makes me wonder, is that even possible is a controlled tongue, a bridal tongue. Is that even possible? Especially when James, later on in verse 9 or verse 8 says, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. So how is this even possible? Augustine explains that James does not say, no one can tame the tongue, but no man, so that when it is tamed, we admit that it was done, listen to this, by the mercy of God, by the assistance of God, and by the grace of God. This, this is why we cannot turn to ourselves 
when it comes to taming the tongue, but rather we must turn to God in Jesus Christ in his provision for the tongue. Notice this provision that God gives us. We need to rely on the power of the gospel to transform our talk, to transform our tongues. Here's the good news, church. Jesus Christ, the Savior, in the gospels, when he was on this earth, who could give speech to the dumb, can also cleanse the speech of people like us here this morning. And if you are willing to turn to Jesus, if you are willing to trust Him, He will cleanse your heart and He will begin to transform your talk from the heart out. So let me just ask all of us here this morning, what do your words say about you? Do your words, your daily words, do they, do they communicate the grace that you have received in Jesus Christ? Or do your words communicate a heart that needs to be cleansed by Jesus Christ? Do you realize that Jesus came? He came to redeem you so that the power of the gospel could start in your heart and then flow through every part of your life, including your tongue. In fact, it's only it is only by the power of the gospel that we will begin to control or bridle or tame our tongues. And yes, as James says, we all stumble in many ways with our tongue. And so when we stumble with our tongues, do you realize it is then only by the gospel as well that we can be forgiven and we can be cleansed all over again and then continue to grow toward maturity little by little, day by day? And let me just add, we do this without fear. We do this without fear. Why? Because we know that God will not disown his children for their stumbling. Woohoo, right? You are secure in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in him, your status, your position before God, regardless of your stumbling, is secure. We may stumble with our tongues, and we will. James tells us that but we do not lose our status as God's redeemed children. And so let us pray then what David prayed in Psalm 141, verse 3, where he simply says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Warren Wearsby said it best. The Lord of your life is the only one strong enough and wise enough to be the Lord of your lips your tongue, and your mouth. That is why we cannot turn to ourselves to bridle our tongues. We must turn to Jesus Christ and the provision we have in him through the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within us, the accountability we have with the body of Christ, the church, striving towards spiritual maturity with the tongue. And so may it be true of us as teachers here in the church, with me first, as well as believers in Jesus Christ, what David wrote here in Psalm 1914, 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. With your heads bowed. I pray that your heart is open to the words of God here in James. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. Father, we ask that it would take root in our hearts and it would transform our talk first as teachers of your word and then with all believers here as well. And as teachers of your word, Lord, help us to see the the great responsibility we have and the greater accountability and the great need we have to rely on you and your grace. May our speech reflect your grace at work in our hearts this week in how we talk with our family, our spouses, our kids, how we interact with our coworkers, our neighbors. Lord, let it be a testimony of your grace working in us. And when we stumble with our words, Lord, say something we regret. May we run to you for forgiveness and cleansing, knowing that you do not disown us. And then striving again in your power and your grace towards spiritual maturity. Lord, let that be the testimony of our church here this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.